0: Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, Alex Wolf and Gavish all here in the Knicks. Have a new signing, Dante DiVincenzo is a Nick now. Four years, $50 million, comes to New York. We're going to talk about the fit, whether it's a good deal for the Knicks, what his role is, if the Knicks are just not going to have a backup power forward this year, and possibly some options if they still want to explore that now that Dante is in, Obi Toppin is out. It's all coming up next on Locked On Knicks. You are locked on Knicks your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. He starts.
1: without a five. Ewing
0: for the win. Yes. the X. left. Now fires a three. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Puts up infectious. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. And today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepix.com, promo code Locked On. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Nick's First Listen today and every day whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us part of your daily routine. Make sure you hit that auto-download function on your favorite podcast app or the notification bell on YouTube so you never miss an episode. We are still here for you guys 5 days a week even during the off season so you can be in every day or if you catch every single episode i'm alex wolf i'm editor-in-chief of nick site like to strickland which you can find strict.land he's gavin charl your favorite play-by-play broadcaster favorite play-by-play broadcaster and the knicks have your your favorite red-haired players favorite red-haired player dante di not too many redheads in the nba so it's a, <laughs> it's,
1: uh, a, it's uh Macri already made this joke but it's him and jeremy cohen
0: yeah pretty much uh so dante di vincenzo uh four years 50 million dollars gavin uh, probably most of, if not all, of the mid level exception, uh, that the Knicks were then it, the non taxpayer mid level exception, I should say, which the Knicks were able to use comfortably by virtue of Josh Hart opting into his 13 million, uh, for this year and Obi Toppin being traded, which we covered in last episode. So if you haven't checked that out already, be sure to do so. Uh, but I'll just throw it to you first, here, Gavin. What's uh, initial thoughts on the deal? Four years, fifty million for Dante Divincenzo.
1: Yeah, I think I think the number is fine. Um, again, I, th- I think I I'm very much guilty of this. You you see a contract, you're like fifty million for Dante Divincenzo. It's a new NBA man, Bruce Brown making twenty two and a half million dollars a year, right? You got to keep that perspective. Um, and I I think we're gonna get into this over the course of the episode, but he is directly. A replacement for Obi Toppin. The Knicks are gonna go into next year and barring a signing at power forward, and we'll we'll get into some options. It's gonna be a lot of Josh Hart, it's gonna be a lot of RJ Barrett, which means the Knicks bench unit is going to run six three, six five, depending on who's playing power forward, six four, six, six, seven feet with Isaiah Hardenstein. Will there be matchups that give the Knicks some problems there? Yeah. I think the Knicks are going to give opposing bench units and maybe even sometimes closing games, opposing starting units, even more issues with that group. The collective combination of shooting, IQ, passing, and defense they now have between Quickly, DiVincenzo, Hart, Hartenstein, and heck, if we get the best version of RJ Barrett, Alex, I think this is going to be, I made the prediction last year, Didn't totally come to fruition until the Knicks got Josh Hart. I think this has a chance to be one of the better bench units in NBA history. That is lofty. I don't say that lightly. I I think this is a group that could be completely dominant. We saw DiVincenzo bounce back from a really poor year a season ago um, when he was coming back from a torn ligament during um, Milwaukee's championship season. And his ankle was not 100% athletically playing for the Bucs and then the Kings. And then with Golden State, Alex, I'll let you talk about it, but he had a real bounce back year and and we can talk about the Villanova DNA, but the way he's going to click, I I think is just picture perfect with this team.
0: Yeah, I think in many ways, he gives you a lot of the things that Josh Hart does, right? And this is clearly something that this team values. They want somebody that can do a little bit of everything. They want someone that can handle the ball a bit. They want someone that can rebound the ball. Uh, They want someone that can you know, just hustle on defense and be an overall positive every time they're on the floor. But the thing with Divincenzo versus Hart is the the three point shot is obviously going to be a lot better. Uh, so that's that's going to be huge for this Knicks team. I mean, this is what we were talking about the other day. I think that their philosophy with getting a guy like Divincenzo is just like it, it, we saw what the weakness was of this team in the playoffs, like especially once Emmanuel quickly went down, but he wasn't shooting well to begin with, you know, Grimes for stretches was the only guy that they could count on to be a reliable, you know, stretchy three-point shooter to just kind of be out on the perimeter and, and take those shots that need to be taken to keep defenses honest. And now they've added another guy like that, but much like Grimes, much like Josh Hart, like not a guy that's only a shooter, like a guy that can also handle the ball, that can also, you know, facilitate well enough that's a willing ball mover, like just a, a smart, good basketball player. And, you know, honestly, like you said, it's it's a little concerning maybe that he's not bigger. You know, so the Knicks find themselves with like a very guard heavy team, if you want to call it that, even though they'll probably have RJ and Hart play some backup four if they don't make any other moves, which we'll get into some of the names that are still available on the market if they do want a more traditional four to back up Julius Randle still. But like, if this is the look that they end up going with, I don't have a huge problem with it because what you lose on some of that size and potential defense there, you you make up for with like, they're still going to be good rebounders, even if they're undersized. And these guys are just going to be absolute terrors in transition. I think that that bench unit is going to just murder people. Like as far as, you know, getting out in transition, you know, generating uh, whether it's layups or kickout threes or, you know, whatever the case may be, like they're going to be, they're going to be really good in in that department. And I think that that's something that the Knicks can always use. We saw what it was like, what it added to the team when they added Josh Hart this past year. And I think that Divincenzo will do nothing but help that along, while also giving you that spot up three point presence that you need. Uh, that they they were sorely lacking at times during this past postseason as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think the part that excites me the most is the collective passing. Dante DiVincenzo Vincenzo in the NBA last year, amongst wings, was 99th percentile in assists to usage ratio. So basically, for the amount of time he had the ball in his hands, how efficient was he at generating assists? Um, this was a great note from our, our friend, second, second shout out this pod, Jonathan Macri. The guy second amongst wings in that category was Josh Hart. So the Knicks have two of the better creating bench wings um, in the NBA. They're going to have spacing. They're going to have Emmanuel quickly, who, if I am, this is something we can continue to talk about over the course of the off season. I'm sure we'll do, we'll do a deep dive episode on it, but if he continues to improve as a creator, as someone who's able to just break down a defense and generate rotation. And I think if there's a jump to be made in his game, it is the consistency of that because there are nights where he's absolutely brilliant at it. And there are times like essentially his whole playoff run, Alex, where where he didn't really have the confidence to do that. It didn't totally click for him. It felt like his decision-making was a beat off and he wasn't just totally self-assured in how he was supposed to go about running an offense. If, If he's ready to make that next jump or maybe there's a world where you start pulling Brunson early. You play Emmanuel quickly for four minutes with the starters, and then you put Brunson back in and Brunson has a chance to run things with these guys. That'll be interesting. And I'm sure we'll see some of those lineups. Um, But I I just think there, there there could be cascading breakdowns in opposing defenses that just change the course of games. And you're going to see the Knicks have these runs where the bench comes in for five minutes and it's a 20 to eight spurt. And, and the game is flipped and the starters are good enough to never give that up to me. I think in terms of how Dante fits into that, and maybe we can get into this a little bit more next segment. I think the biggest things for him are somewhat of an ability to be to close out and be willing to shoot at the rim. He doesn't have to be great at the rim, but he has to have a higher volume there than he's had in golden state and throughout a lot of his career. And then the other thing is the three point shooting has to be real for him because he was someone who, um, for most of his career, has been a good three-point shooter, um, but maybe not the the great one that a lot of people out of Villanova has been. In fact, like I'm, I'm going over the numbers. Like he really hasn't been. Like he was 27% as a rookie, is 34% his second year, 38% his third year, and then last year was, or excuse me, two years ago was was pretty poor in Milwaukee, good in Sacramento before getting really good in Golden State. But Alex was on only two three-point attempts per game. So he is to prove that that type of shooting is real on volume if it is I think we're both kind of saying the same things like like this this bench lineup is going to have the Knicks as an Eastern Conference contender
0: yeah just to clarify on on two three point makes per game on oh, five sorry, attempts sorry. he did Sorry. Um, yeah, okay that's
1: yeah better volume than i have.
0: yeah yeah quite 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 a big difference yeah, yeah. but
1: good, good, yeah good clarify
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you're basically hoping yeah that he can be who he was pre-injury in milwaukee and then with golden state last year but honestly he's sort of if you just kind of distill it down to his his last healthy year in milwaukee his 25 games with sacramento and then his year last year with golden state he's more or less been like a 38, 38 I and a half percent quick head math, three point shooter uh, the last like three seasons. If you're willing to throw out the the tough stretch when he came back from injury. So yeah, I, I
1: think 36. That's a yeah, good number.
0: That's a solid number. If, if he can shoot like five, six attempts per game, uh, that's, that's good. I think that's, that's really solid. And if he's shooting five or six attempts per game off the bench, like that means he's out there to be a shooter. which is what the Knicks are definitely going to need. We can keep talking about this in just a sec though, but Gavin, do you want to let everybody know where they could play some daily fantasy if they're interested in doing that?
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, I think Alex opening day of the season, I'm going to take Dante DiVincenzo over 10 points, over two and a half assists and over two and a half made threes, because I think he's going to come out and get off to a great start. And where I'm going to do that, uh, that would be price picks. So how does it work? You pick two to six players and they go score more or less in their price picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry, not competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Those weirdos in their basements with eight spreadsheets, you don't have to worry about them. Price picks offers projections of any sport that you can watch. And entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So, download the Price app or go to PriceFix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Price will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Fix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match. Up to one hundred dollars. All right, Alex. Uh, we are back on Locked On Knicks. I, I guess what I want to know from you. I think I just outlined, like, in in kind of the broadest sense, what my concerns would be about Vincenzo. For you, is it is it just the collective height of the lineup? Is there any concerns about the money allocated at any loss and flexibility for the Knicks in that sense, or or do you see this as as kind of purely additive for New York?
0: I think it mostly is purely additive. You know, I was I was talking very uh, fondly of DiVincenzo the other day and, and of the Knicks adding him, and that, that hasn't changed. Like, I think this is just, you know, I think this is, again, the Knicks are looking at the team that beat them in the playoffs this year in the Heat and saying, how do we get a little more like that where we can always have someone to plug and play? And, and always have a presence out there that, you know, even if one person goes down, we're not feeling like, oh, no, we have to, you know, unglue this guy from the bench. And I don't know if he's going to be able to step in and do what we need. So now we're going to be forced to play someone for like 48 minutes or whatever. Um, so in that regard, like just from the pure talent play, I'm totally about it. And I, you know, as I said in the first segment, like I think that he brings things that the Knicks need, especially in the shooting department um, and just another player that can, Like uh, what's the, the, the classic thing that everybody always says, like, can the guy pass dribble and shoot? Like (laughs) he could do all those things. That's, that's something that is extremely useful in today's NBA Pass, dribble shoot. You know, that's, that's all you can ask for the number, like the cap number. I don't hate it at all. I think it's fine. I think locking him up for four years, probably pretty smart because they're, you know, if you do the math, right. So it's going to be the 2023 to 24 season, 24 to 25 season then there's a new tv deal in 2025 so the cap projects to go up quite a bit in two years uh so there's a chance that if you if you keep Dante throughout this whole deal along with Jalen Brunson and uh Josh Hart you know keep your little Villanova core together by year three and four of this deal it might be even a better deal than it is right now um but yeah you know like you said with still having this sort of even all these years later still adjusts to like what a high paid player is in the NBA. Like, I think, you know, some people still see like $50 million, like, Oh my goodness, $50 million, like, Oh, over $10 million for Dante DiVincenzo. That's going to be like a 16th of the cap in like a year <laughs> or two years. Like that's, it's not, it's already like a 14th of the cap. Like the, the salary cap is almost $140 million this year. So like, like $12 million, that's not, the end of the world uh, from a pure dollars and cents perspective. Um, and who knows how it's structured as well. It's possible the Knicks, the Knicks have been pretty famous so far for front loading contracts, which is very good business. Like, so giving a guy more money up front and then actually having get paid less each year as he's with the team. So if that's the case too, and, and the Knicks are paying him like sub $10 million by year four, that's a huge value deal. Um, then, you know, he also will be, if they find themselves in, you know, the market for a big star or something, he's the perfect type of dude that you could throw in one of those deals and be like, here's a good rotation player that, you know, is going to give you, you know, three point shooting, passing, rebounding, everything you possibly want as you're rebuilding your team or whatever. Or if you if they trade him to some team, that's like we still want to compete, uh, you know, even though we're trading a star, then that's a perfect player to trade as well. Or a perfect player to have is the last man standing. If you do make a big trade, you know yes. it's like he—he's very versatile in that regard. I think it all comes down to for me Gavin, the, the big concern is—is is what you already touched on a little bit, and what I'm sure we're going to talk about for most of the rest of this segment before we talk about some other options that they could potentially get. But like the size, uh, you know, he's—you're replacing Obi Toppin, who is a a power forward through and through, with Dante Divincenzo, who is a. I think at best a you would maybe call him a wing, but I would say more of a shooting guard. You know, he's he's shooting guard sized. Um, he's not necessarily like prototypical small forward size. Now, granted, neither is Josh Hart, neither is uh, Quentin Grimes. You know, like there's <laughs> the Knicks just kind of have a lot of guys that are like six five that play bigger than their size. Um, and you know, so the question becomes now, like, who's the backup power forward? And DiVincenzo obviously isn't that. So does that mean that the Knicks are going to be comfortable sliding Josh Hart to backup power forward effectively? Does it mean that they'll be more comfortable giving RJ Barrett more minutes at the four, which we've certainly said over the years, like we'd love to see more of RJ at the four because it always seems to be a good experiment when he does that. So like more bench unit time for RJ, which was a thing last year too. Like he played a lot with the bench unit and had a lot of success. Is he going to do that as the four this year now? I don't know. It'll be it, that's my biggest question with this Steven signing. I love everything else about it—the cost, the fit, uh, like the fit as far as his profile as a player, like what he's going to bring to the team. But the the overall roster questions that come up with this, given who the head coaches are, are a little interesting to me uh, as far as if the Knicks are just trying to force Tibbs to do something different. Or if they're eventually just going to sign a power forward, then we're going to have a little bit of a logjam at that one to three spot.
1: Yeah, I think this is something we we're going to say for the third segment, but I, I think it's just such a crucial point. Um, and, and, and you nailed it when you said it. I, I think the thought process here is that at some point we are going to make an all in move, whether it's for Joel Embiid or, or Paul George or another wing down the road like there is what there's a move coming and it it might be RJ that gets sent out. It might be quickly. It might be Grimes might be Julius and one of those guys, but inevitably you're going to need a replacement. And I think Leon Rose and this entire front office did great work here in that they got the replacement before other teams could leverage them out of it in a trade and say, you desperately need another guy. They have that dude on that, on the roster and, they didn't have to give up anything more than the money they're paying him, right? Like he is a ready-made, to your point, like like even, even if he eventually is a starter at the two, like he's probably good enough to do that, especially if you're trading again for a star and you have a little bit more margin for error. Right now, the, the strength of the Knicks team is that they're going to play nine guys who are uh, either above average to two guys who are all NBA caliber talents and Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson. And, and that is going to make for a really good team but they could have a more star loaded team and still have really impressive depth because they have an excess right now of talent. And that is a great position to be in now, as far as concerns with DiVincenzo, I mentioned them a little bit in the first segment. Um, the biggest thing to me is, is what he's going to be able to do at the rim. Because I think again, with the collective passing that the second unit has, there are going to be a lot of times where DiVincenzo um, is getting hard closeouts and he's able to pump and he's able to blow by his man. I think what he does in those moments is going to define at points the success of this Knicks bench unit. And I think if he's able to be a better finisher at the rim and therefore draw more attention, it'll create this cascade of opportunities for quickly to get more spot-up threes, um, for RJ to get more spot-up threes, or more opportunities to attack and even crazier closeout. I think the concern right now is opposing teams aren't going to respect his ability as a driver. Earlier in his career, he was a very good finisher at the rim. He was 96 percentile in that capacity as a rookie playing very limited minutes, 79 percent at the rim. Second year down to 62 percent at the rim, still above average. Then the two seasons after that, 54 percent at the rim, that was 17th percentile in the NBA. The year after that, 46 um, percent at the rim, that was 15th percentile in the NBA. Last year, Alex bounced back a little bit, 63 percent shooter at the rim. That was about league average, but he barely shot there. It was right around the 20th percentile in terms of his at-rim attempts. Um, we know he's a good athlete, right? There's a reason they called him Delaware Jordan. There's a reason they called him the big ragu. The guy can throw down a big dunk, had a couple of them last year, um, a year removed from that pretty traumatic ankle injury. I expect some of that athleticism to be back. He should be in his athletic prime from his age perspective. I think that's going to be a key that he's worked on that this off season. and that he, he doesn't have to be a great finisher, but that he's a decent finisher at the basket and the other big concern, and, and then we could we could take a break and maybe talk about this a little bit, is, is just what he did in the playoffs for Golden State. And granted, it, it was it was thirteen games, but he wasn't quite the same guy he was in the regular season. Only averaged five and a half points per game, um, shot thirty seven and a half percent from the field, thirty four percent from three. Um, didn't take a lot of free throws, but was sixty seven percent from the line. Um, still put up three assists per game, which is exciting that his playmaking translated to the postseason. But to your point, like the Knicks, like if you want to replicate that Miami Heat. Style of success, which honestly, like I think is a great call by you. Is that that is the template for the Knicks going forward? Um, you you need everyone to be able to play big come playoff time. And I'm curious to see if Dante has that within.
0: Yeah, I we can talk about that more in just a sec. We'll take our last break and then come right back in, finish talking about uh Dante's fit and the stats and everything else, and then also speculate on if there's still a move to be made for the Knicks here as far as some of the the more traditional power forwards that are still on the market. So we'll be right back to talk about that. All right, we're back in. Uh, finishing talking about Dante DiVincenzo here. And Gavin, you brought up before the break, like the uh, it, getting to the rim and, and if he's going to be able to do that for the Knicks. I, I feel pretty good about it. You know, I think that the Knicks do... I think if we want to look at look in-house at a, a guy who... Sort of does similar things to what DiVincenzo does, although I'd argue maybe it's Homer glasses on that he has a higher ceiling, Um, if for no other reason than the age and the fact that he's still on his rookie contract. But you look at how they use Grimes sometimes, and I think that that's a good template for what could happen for DiVincenzo. Like if he's able to make those quick decisions on the perimeter, you know, just bust out a quick pump fake, you know, keep the defender honest in front of him and then attack the closeout get inside and finish, things could be good for him. Now, granted, we've seen this with Grimes too. Like, If you're not like a great finisher on the Knicks and you're trying to do that, sometimes it could be a little daunting because you are probably going to get a little more attention at the rim than you would on another team because it, it, there's pretty much always a Mitchell Robinson looming somewhere yeah. down mm-hmm. there, which means that if the opposing center times it right, they can always put up a good contest. That said if you get adept at the the passing aspect of it all too, you can punish centers for cheating off of Mitchell Robinson by tossing up a nice little easy lob for him. So I think that Dante based off my experience from watching him seems like a high IQ enough player that he's going to be able to read that situation uh pretty consistently and you know attack that closeout, get inside and then make the right decision between do I go for this layup or do I try to get a, a thing up here for Mitchell Robinson or perhaps, I mean, if he's going to be playing a lot with Josh Hart, look out for Josh Hart cutting because Josh Hart's a great cutter and nobody should know that better than DiVincenzo who used to play with him in college along with Jalen Brunson. Um, so I, I don't know. I I also think it's worth noting. It's kind of funny when you look at his, his uh, clean the glass page that it looks like he's had a fairly big drop off as far as like the at the rim uh, percentages where he went from 67th percentile to 46 this past year but they also changed his designation from combo guard to wing mm-hmm. so I think that sort of that sort of skews things a little bit because wings are expected and do uh, do better at the rim uh, which is why I think you know shooting 63 percent this year versus 62 percent in 2019 to 20 at the rim would make it look like it's worse but I think uh, to me and it like this is I would be lying if I said I watched all of Dante DiVincenzo's action this past year on the Warriors. But just from a pure numbers perspective, it says to me, I I feel like he's probably back there. Uh, Though, to your point, we need to see it on more volume. It's sort of like what we were talking about with the three-pointers where it's like like everything in the NBA is dependent on volume. So if, if you're only taking a couple attempts at the rim and you're shooting 63%, great. But we need to be able to see that you could do that on like four attempts per game. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think, I think realistically with the role that he probably figures to have with the Knicks, I, I would not be surprised if he's putting up like, like eight to nine shots per game um, off the bench. Like there, he's going to be a guy that they want to come in there and like score the basketball. Uh, yeah. So we're going to need to see that he could do that at, at least at two levels. I think if he could shoot three and at the rim, that's, that's good enough. I don't know that we necessarily need him to be hitting pull up middies or anything, but I, mm. I think that, I think he's got it in him, at least based off the stats and, I'll be intrigued over these next few weeks to go back and watch some some footage of him from this past year in Golden State and see just how much Poppy has on those drives,
1: yeah. I think I think a big part of it was last year when and i want I want to give the guy credit. I can't find it, but I, I saw a Golden State B writer talking about this. Like he would, he would like his instinct was always to kick the ball out to the perimeter, like after he beat a closeout. Which and you're on golden Why mates. not?
0: <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Giving your teammates why not, right? That's fair. And that's <laughs> again
1: where, where you I was gonna say, like we, we talked about him having like the best assist to usage ratio in the league, like helps to play with Steph Clay and and uh, whatever you want to say about him, Jordan Poole. Um, but I, I think my concern there is like between him and Quentin Grimes, both those guys have to remedy that. Where this was something we always drove home, like a lot of other people who watch this team drove home. You have to drive to shoot, right? Like, and if the defense makes you do something else, great. Then use that passing ability, but you have to drive with the intention of going up and either dunking on someone or drawing a foul or 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 showing off some jelly, which we know Dante DiVincenzo has in finishing around a guy. But that has to be your intention, going to the rim. All right, Alex, let's let's finish up with this. Um, There's some other options still available at the power forward spot. Uh, We are recording this Sunday morning. So it's possible that throughout the day, some of these guys agree to deals. So we'll preemptively apologize for that. But the guys we highlighted Alex real quick were Grant Williams, Jermichael Green, Torrey Craig, and and kind of more of a wing, but someone who could also fit in as a small ball for Kelly Oubre. I think Craig and Green are the two most realistic names on that list. Um, I'll let you talk about Alex because you were, you were doing a good job breaking down pre-show. Grant Williams would require probably Evan Fournier and some picks being shipped shipped out to Boston to make the money work. And given again the finite role that he would have, given that he would just walk into the Obi Toppin spot, I have a feeling the Knicks aren't going to do that. If I had to bet, I would say they bring in some kind of emergency power forward option. Because I think the concern for me is if Julius Randle gets hurt again, and and granted, like by and large, that has not happened in his Knicks' career. But last year it happened at a really crucial juncture. Like the Knicks would be in a lot of trouble if your only power forward options are Jericho Sims, RJ Barrett, and six foot four Josh Hart.
0: Yeah. And you know, so I'll I'll just quickly highlight the the Grant Williams option first. You know, the more I was thinking about it, I was like, maybe there's a world where this makes sense. Like we were talking about it before the show, where we were like, well, what would the Knicks even trade? And my thought was like, considering where the celtics are at right now they just acquired porzingis you know they just shipped out marcus smart granted they're still going to want as many defenders as they can get but they're sort of in this weird spot where like grant williams probably feels like what is my role here you know what i mean like they still have they still have robert williams they have porzingis now i don't know if their plan is to start porzingis as like the nominal four or if they're going to have robert williams uh, come off the bench or what but you know, their, their big man rotation is getting a little weird because then, you know, you want to run Tatum as a four sometimes. Um, so maybe Grant Williams just kind of decides to say, hey, I know I'm a restricted free agent, but I want out of here. And the Celtics decide to accommodate that request. If you're the Knicks, like, and you look at that, there might be something to be said for like, maybe this, maybe this guy is the guy. Like, Obi wasn't that guy because Tibbs didn't trust him on defense. Now, even though Grant Williams isn't, a rim protector. He's certainly a great defender. He's stout. And, yeah, he's stout. He's sturdy. And maybe that would be enough to tempt Tibbs into actually playing small. If you talk with Tibbs and you feel like that's a real option, perhaps you go to Boston and say, Hey, we'll give you like Evan Fournier and maybe like Deuce McBride or something, you know, like, like some player to sort of, you know, be like, Hey, oh well, maybe Deuce McBride is Marcus smart. If you develop him well enough or whatever. Um, And like, a fistful of those protected first round picks that you have, let's say maybe like three out of the four.
1: I don't even think you need that much. These he's gone anyways and bought like, I think you get away with one of those.
0: I mean the thing is he's a restricted free agent, so you have to do something to convince them to not just say, no, screw you, we're just gonna match everything. <laughs> um, because they can say that to Grant Williams, too. They could be like, Well, that's tough if that's what can you they, want. Can but- they
1: afford him though, with KP coming in? Or like I guess I guess we can that maybe we have to ask John Corrales that. But
0: yeah, I mean, I get, I think just as a restricted free agent, the answer is yes. Like yeah. they can afford him, it'll maybe restrict their team building going forward, but you know, if you do this deal and you they bring in Fournier's expiring and a bunch of picks, then if they decide they still have like some other very tradable pieces, if they decide like maybe real quick, they can insert themselves in the Damian Lillard conversation or something and say, you know what, if we're going all in, we may as well go all freaking in and get Damian Lillard and pair him with Jalen Brown and uh, uh, Jason Tatum and KP and just see what we can do. Uh, Before handing Jalen Brown his Supermax and essentially saying, Well, because of this new CBA, like we got to make this work. Like we got to make the big move now before we hand out this Supermax. So, you know, granted, from a Knicks perspective, maybe you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to grease the wheels of creating that super team in Boston. But, you know, maybe if you say to yourself, Hey, we'll still have enough flexibility to go get a big fish and we'll have a Grant Williams in tow, who if then you decide to trade Julius Randle could be a good piece there. I don't know. This is all spitballing. At the yeah. Knicks, as far as I know, have not been linked to Grant Williams at all, but it's something that I would consider if I were them. But yeah, I, well, you know, I'll let you react to that first. Then I'll make the case for for Michael Green and Torrey Craig, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I think I would I would only rule it out in that like like the big issue with him in Boston is that his role has been really inconsistent. Like he was like, he's out of the playoff rotation. Then he's playing 32 minutes in like a big game five and then he's out again. So I, I think he is certainly looking to go somewhere where he is going to be, if not a starter, someone who's playing 20 20 minutes a game at a minimum and I think in the right team in the right context like he's certainly good enough to warrant that like solid shooter good passer physical force around the basket um good defender we'll we'll talk crap to Jimmy Butler and fire him up so you lose game two that you can't afford to lose sorry just had to throw that out there um but I I don't I don't think New York's the spot for him I think Tibbs likes to play centers and I, I think honestly like I don't know like like if you're talking about him as a small ball five like It, it, it would, it's nice to have that stylistic flexibility, but for the amount you have to give up for him, like, I don't think he's enough of an upgrade over someone like Isaiah Hartenstein, who was fantastic for the Knicks down the stretch playing those minutes. So I think that would ultimately be that case against it, given that you're not only giving up money for him, but you're giving up. I, and again, like, like you could say, like if it's Evan Fournier, like, is it really that much? And like, I don't know how much the Knicks could pay him. I don't know how much he's getting from another team. Um, the fact that he's not signed yet is suggesting that he's not getting a crazy amount of money from another team. But I, I just think ultimately it doesn't work out. And I think one of the lower cost options would be more realistic for the
0: Knicks. Yeah. And so then there's those lower cost options. And I mean, I, I feel like these two guys would offer roughly similar things tory Craig Jamichael Green. I, I think they're funny enough. And I mean, this is sort of, I guess, the the case for trading Obi Toppin is effectively the role that the Knicks have wanted Obi Toppin to play for the last few years of basically just like we just need you to like defend competently and hit three-pointers and space the floor a little bit off the bench. I feel like Jermichael Green and Tory Craig could both do that. Yeah. Um Tory Craig is a little on the smaller side so you're again looking at a guy who's like sort of more of a wing that you'd then be tasking with being a backup four. Uh so I I think Green would probably be my my choice there. Uh, and I, I think it's probably pretty realistic. Like Jermichael green is, he's been like a minimum player for a number of years now. Like he's always been a guy that gets signed late in free agency. He actually played for golden state last year. So that's, um, you know, maybe Dante DiVincenzo could put in a good word or whatever if he felt so, but you know, he's like a 20 to like 15 to 20 minute per game player for most of his career. Um, he shot 38% last year on 2 three-point attempts per game and other than an outlier year with Denver in 21 to 22 when he shot only 27%, he's basically been like a 35 to 40% uh three-point shooter on like as many as 4 attempts per game for the last like 6 years now. It's been quite a while that he's been he's been a reliable uh three-point threat as a four. He's also he also has a little more you know, traditional four size. He's six foot eight. I believe he's got a pretty good wingspan. A little later on in his career, he's like 33 years old. So actually like a good veteran presence could be good for this team that's losing a lot of that. Um, Going into next year with Derek Rose leaving and uh, presumably Evan Fournier on the way out and some sort of deal at some point, they're not going to have, outside of like Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, they're not going to have a ton of like older veteran players on this team. So it could be good to get an infusion of that. Um but yeah I I like Green a lot. I think I I I have probably talked myself out of the Grant Williams thing because for what it would cost to shake free the the restricted free agent rights from Boston. I think I'm kind of with you. I don't I don't think I would be totally willing to make that move. Um but if you can get a guy like Green on like a minimum contract and then at least have that safety valve of having another more traditional four, I I think that would be a really good move for the Knicks. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm with you and uh yeah, I guess I, get, I can wrap things up by saying I'm really excited for Dante DiVincenzo to come in. I I just think it's, it's a case where the Knicks don't really lose anything and might be gaining a whole lot. He's actively good and actively insurance for if they make that star trade. Um, but we will have plenty of more coverage, including some conversation with uh, one of the guys who got to cover him all year on the Golden State Warriors. And so much more exciting stuff to come the rest of this week. But until then, he's Alex and Gavin, and we will talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks.